Because their faith has been located in a lie and in a false god. Israel's false god was her riches, her wealth, her success, her status. A merchant, he says. Verse 7. A merchant? What's wrong with the businessmen? What's wrong with businessmen? Actually, the Hebrew here is very confusing. You might have a footnote. Some passages do. Actually, what I think this passage says and what the word means is Canaanite. Canaanite. Canaanite, Canaan, was a land of businessmen, merchants, buyers and sellers of goods, and they were thieves. And they not only were thieves, but they were sexually immoral. They worshipped gods and goddesses of fertility. And they sacrificed their children to these gods. The Canaanite people were merchants, and their number one exported good was idolatry. God called the people of Israel to go into the land of the Canaanites and destroy them. I know that causes us squeamish Westerners problems because we say, how can God command the death of children and women and young people and men alike and all their animals on top of that? Peter would have had a field day with the Old Testament. Not only did the sacrifices, but they killed dogs. He said, don't leave a dog in the land. That's what he said. Kill everything when you go. Why? Because God knew the number one exported good of Cana was not their pearls and not their riches and not their silver and not their gold and not their fine apparel. The number one thing they exported to the world was false religion and idolatry. And he said, if you leave them in the land, they will make you Canaanites. What does Hosea say? You Canaanites. Israel was sent to the land to make the land the land of the living God. And the land made them people of a false god. Israel was to transform the culture, but the culture transformed Israel. Is there not, do I need to preach on that or do you get it? What has the church become today? In all of her trappings of trying to reach out to the culture around her, she has become the culture. She has not transformed the culture to this day because she has become like the culture. The reality is, unfortunately, coming to church at most local evangelical churches is like going to a bad rock concert. Right? I don't mean to insult. I'm just trying to be honest. We're too busy trying to look like them when God has called us to be like Him. And He would say, you Canaanites, you merchants with false and lying scales, you bunch of thieves and con- I will condemn you for your deceit. I will judge you for your sin. That's what he's saying to the northern tribes of Israel. You've played the harlot. You are a whore. I disgust you. And you disgust me. The reality is the church of our day is much like the Israel of Hosea's day. We're disgusted by God. We spend more time. I told, I don't remember who. I think Heath this morning. It was Heath. Heath gets here early enough to get two messages. You can come with him sometime and get that first message. I told Heath, Heath, 
we spend more time apologizing for our God than we do proclaiming his name so that the lost may be saved. Evangelical church, Christ fellowship, we need to stop with our Canaanite practices where we worship and serve the God of the American dream and we sacrifice our children at its altar and we look like the culture which surrounds us because God says, like your father Jacob, unless you repent, I will destroy you. And like the people of Israel were let off into captivity, we are being let off into captivity. Why does no one stand and speak against moral depravity any longer? Why does no one stand and proclaim boldly the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ? Because we're all adulterers. I'm an adulterer. You're an adulterer. And until we come to that fact and we come to the end of ourselves, we cannot proclaim with power the power of God to save, which is the gospel. We have no message. We look like them. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it causes pain. But it's necessary. Like any infectious cankerous sore, it must be cut out. Or the body will die from the pollution of sin. Have you come to the end of yourself? Are you now under the judgment given by God to those who are prideful and unjust? Look what he says in verse 7. You Canaanites in whose hands are false balances, you love to oppress. Ephraim has said, Israel has said, Ah, but I'm rich. I have found wealth for myself and all my labors they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I've deceived everybody. I'm just like my father Jacob. I've deceived everybody. I've confused and twisted the truth to the fact that they believe it is the truth. And God says, You haven't fooled me. You haven't deceived me. The Canaanite practices had infiltrated the people of Israel like the culture in our day has infiltrated the church. And God's judgment stands over us as we pridefully sing and pray and bow down to the Word in our worship services while all the while, Monday through Saturday, bowing to the idols that are in our common places. Now, I don't want to steal the thunder of the last point. But it is no mistake that Hosea says, your idols are in your plowed and furrowed field. Do you see that? Just over in the passage, in verse 11, your idols are in your furrowed fields. You know what God is saying through the mouth of Hosea? Monday through Friday, you worship your work. You worship your prosper. You worship your success. You sacrifice yourself, your children, your marriages, your, your, the community of believers. It's all being sacrificed for your dream to be like the Canaanites, to be wealthy and secure and safe. And safe. When we should be turning to God... During this crisis of finances, we are turning to insurance companies and the like to buy for ourselves safety 
and comfort and ease. We haven't turned to God. There's been no outpouring in this nation of repentance for our sin during our downturn here over the last year or two. No repentance. When 9-11 struck, the repentance was short. Like Israel, we continually go back to our gods. We expose our deceit before a living God who says, You're not fooling me. I know who you are. He judges us for our pride and our injustice. We murder babies and call it convenience. We let millions upon millions of orphans languish worldwide and say, it's too dangerous. We allow a sex trade which contains millions of young women to exist with no voice from the church to say, not only is it wrong to enslave women for sex, it's wrong for the deacons of the church to pay for it. We have become like Israel, and Israel was like the Canaanites. So don't be surprised when the hand of judgment falls and we are destroyed. The only hope we have is not improvement, not a moral majority but coming to the end of who we are and saying we are rotten to the core. Oh, God, save us. That's the only hope we've got. And it doesn't start at the national level. It starts in my house and in your house and in this house and houses like it all over the nation. We need a grassroots movement of repentance. I'm asking, would you join me? I'm asking, would you join me? And would you cry out, Oh God, oh God, don't improve me. Raise me from the dead. Join me. God is pronouncing judgment on Israel and on us for our pride and our lack of justice. Thirdly, God's faithful call is in sharp contrast with the unfaithfulness of mankind. God's faithful call is presented to us in verses 10 and verses 12 and 13. Look at His faithfulness. He starts in verse 9. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. I'm going to bring you back into tents, He says, like the day of the festival. Right now in the history of Israel during Hosea's day, the people celebrated one week a year called the Tabernacle Feast, or the Feast of the Tabernacle. And they built momentary structures, things not planted in the ground, tents, we might call them. And they went and dwelled in them to remember that it was in tents they dwelled in the desert with God. I am your God from the land of Egypt, and you're going to return to dwelling in tents. This time, not on the day of festival, You're going to dwell in tents in Assyria and Egypt because I'm going to deport you those places. I want to take you from your land, God says. Now look what he says in verse 10 to show you how faithful our God is to call us to faith. Look what he said. I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions 
And through the prophets I gave teachings or parables. In Hosea's day alone, Isaiah and Amos and Micah and Hosea are crying out to the northern and the southern tribes, Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Confess your sin and be made right with God. Continually. Over and over again. God said, you've continued to be unfaithful and I've continued to be faithful. Preaching the covenant to you over and over again through the mouth of my prophets. I've not ceased to give them visions like that one contained in the Holy Scriptures in Isaiah chapter 6. Where he saw God high and lifted up. I haven't failed to reveal myself to you. You failed to believe in me by faith. The failure in our world, in our church, in Grace Fellowship, and in our homes is not God. The failure is us. God has not ceased to preach His Word. God has not ceased to proclaim the truth. His Word has never been muted. There are faithful men... And we should thank God for them in our day, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faithful to the Lord. So isn't it much like the people of Israel who had Amos and Isaiah and Micah and Hosea? Isn't today much like that? Wouldn't God say, I am proclaiming the truth to you. I am giving the vision of my word to you. I have given you my spirit. I am not failing. You are failing. God's word is not lacking in power. We lack power. Why? Why do we, his church, lack power? Has God failed? May it never be. We have failed. And what I'm saying is join me. Join me in confessing that and saying... When it comes down to it, I'm a failure. I'm at the end of myself. I have no hope. Jesus Christ alone can save me. And Jesus Christ alone can transform me by His grace. And Jesus Christ alone can give me the words to open my mouth and spread the good news. Would you join me in that confession of repentance and call to righteousness? Would you join me? Or would you, like the people of Israel, continue to be unfaithful? Would you continue to go your own way? Would you continue to slap the hand of God as he sticks it out to you? He says, I multiplied my visions. Look in verse 12. Jacob went to the land of Aram, and there he served as a garter of sheep, a shepherd, to earn a wife. Now, we know the story, right? Leah The deceiver was deceived, wasn't he? His father-in-law told him, if you work for me seven years, I'll give you your bride, my daughter, Rachel. That's who you love. I'll give her to you. He worked seven years. He was faithful. God prospered his father-in-law beyond measure. And then what did the father-in-law do? Well, her older sister has to be married before her. So you got to take her. Now serve seven more years, you can have Rachel. Sounds like he had a good employee He liked the way he was being blessed. He wanted to keep him. So he served. And he got Rachel. Like your father, Jacob served as a shepherd, never failing to serve his father-in-law and guard the sheep. 
So I have guarded Israel by my shepherds. Look what he says. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt. And by a prophet, he has guarded his sheep. He has guarded his sheep. It is no coincidence. It is no happenstance. God has always guarded his sheep through the mouth of his prophets and his preachers. Ultimately, by his word, he has guarded them. In our decline and our failure as a church, isn't it interesting that what has been muted in most churches is this word? What most churches have done in a desperation move to gather people in is they've thrown this book on the shelf and they've gone to a lot of glitzy and glamorous programs. They've put on the rock concert. They've showed the videos. They've taken the consumer approach and said, let's see what the people want and give them what they want. Is it any... Is it any coincidence that in this day of decline, this word has been placed on the shelf for the schemes of the Canaanites and the culture around us? God guards his sheep, not by man, nor by programs. He guards them through the mouth of those who proclaim his word. At the moment, at the day, that the leadership of this church ceases to proclaim to you the good news of this word, you are obligated to call the leadership to repentance. And you are obligated, if they will not repent, to disassociate from this body. Do not sit on a sinking ship which refuses to preach the word of God, because if you do, you'll go down with them and with their schemes and with their programs, and with their glitz, and with their glamour. And when you stand before Almighty God on that day, He's not going to judge you by how good a concert you put on. He's going to judge you by how faithful you were to this Word. In contrast to God's faithful prophecy and delivering of His Word is the actions of Israel. Look what they did. Verse 11, Gilead, which has already been mentioned, (laughs) a place of utter destruction. They murdered thousands in that city. They shall come to nothing. In Gilgal, they sacrifice bulls and their altars are in their fields. And I want to destroy those. Verse 14, Ephraim's blood guilt will remain on her. Because she will not repent is the obvious conclusion. She has committed a bitter provocation. At one point, God in Hosea said, remember, Israel was like the choicest of vines. I found her sweet to the taste. I loved her as a first fruit. Now God says she's a bitter provocation. She is a bitter herb. The bitter herb was instrumental in bringing about tears. God is saying, I weep over Israel today. Not rejoice in the day I found her, but I weep over her. And I will not remove her guilt. Finally, he says, 
I'm not only not going to remove her guilt, I'm going to repay her for her evil deeds. I'm going to repay her. The fact is, as we close, every bitter provocation, every iniquity, every sin, every transgression of the law will be paid for. Every one of them will be paid for. The question for you to answer is, who will make the payment before Almighty God? In the case of Hosea's day in Israel, they made the payment by being deported off into Assyria and Egypt and being slaughtered by the thousands. They paid for their sin, not only in Assyria and Egypt, but they paid in hell itself. And they still pay to this day. They will pay for their sin forevermore. The penalty for sin is death. That's the message of the Bible, not my message. That's the message of God through His Word. If you sit here today, having rejected God and living in your own power, hoping to connive and deceive yourself into the kingdom of God, understand the Apostle Paul said liars will not enter the kingdom of God. The biggest lie you can tell yourself is that you're okay because you're a good person. If you believe that lie, you will not enter the kingdom of God. You will enter judgment. And there is no hope for those who die in judgment because judgment is final and it is eternal. You say, but my sins were not eternal. They were numbered. But your sin, though it may have been one, was against an, it was committed against an eternal God who never ceases to exist. Therefore, your sin cannot be paid for in any amount of time. It will be paid for over eternity. Forevermore. That's one, that's, that's one option for you as we sit here today. In sin, rebelling against God, refusing Him, dying and facing the judgment of God for your sin. That's one possibility for you. That may be your choice. That may be your destiny. I pray it is not. Because your sin can be paid for a second way. That eternal God which you sinned against put on flesh. Being eternal, He is sinless. Being sinless, He dies not for His sin, but for the sins of the many, as Mark says. He dies for the sins of all who believe in His name. You have the offer of a Savior who being eternal doesn't have to suffer for eternity. Rather, He makes payment for sin once and for all at the cross. Your sins will be paid for. Either you will pay for eternity or they will be paid for or they were paid for in the person of Jesus Christ at the cross. No sin goes unpunished. Israel, church, you Canaanite, adulterous people, unless you call on that Christ in faith in Him alone, by the grace of God alone, unless you call on Him, you have no hope 
you face eternal judgment. But in him, you have the hope of eternity. So what I'm asking is that you would deal with God, that you would wrestle with him like Jacob did and say, I will not leave until I'm blessed. I'm asking you to come to Bethel, the house of God, and to say, I have no hope in me, but you are my hope. I'm pleading with you. By the mercy of God, would you believe? Would you come to him in faith? Would you take of the bread which has no price and drink from the well which costs you nothing and costs God everything? Would you take this Savior and be saved? Let's pray. Father, you are faithful.